All right. Welcome to the gathering, everybody. My name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here um, at Discovery. And we are going to wrap up this morning our conversation that we've been calling Disciple in just a minute. But before we do that, this is an exciting day for a whole bunch of reasons. The end of spring break, Palm Sunday, Good Friday's coming, Easter's right around the corner. But also today we get to celebrate the commissioning of some new leaders for our community, uh, a role that we call deacons. So I want to invite our current deacons and elders to join me on stage. And you can uh, give them a hand as they do that. And as they make their way up here, I, I want to explain what this is in case you're like, what the heck is a deacon? Um, we as an organization, as a church, are pretty flat in terms of our leadership structure. We do see ourselves as a community, a family, um, and we're all in this together. But there are some specific roles that are important in leading and stewarding this community. So we have elders who sort of sit at the, the overseer level, right, uh, thinking about our mission and our vision and how to protect that and keep us pointed in, in that direction. Then we have our staff who work at more of the execution level, making sure that stuff gets done, you know, week in and week out. And then in between those two sit this role of deacon. And for us here at Discovery, the deacons function as uh, sort of like a strategic, uh, a strategic team. They kind of sit in with the questions of like, if this is who we are and, and what we want to do, if this is our, our sort of that we can create mission, how do we, uh, how do we execute that? What are some things that we can do? Tools that we can create, uh, um, um, even events or ideas that we can implement to make sure that we are accomplishing what we want to accomplish. And so for the last two years, we've had a team of deacons. The, the picture of them should be up here uh, on the screen. So Kayla, Reed, Alex, and Liz have been serving, again, for the last two years in this role, sort of our first swing at it. And they have done a wonderful job. And we are now, yes, please clap for them. Um, we are now bringing on two new people to the team. So Ryan Cooper, who's here. Ryan, come on up. And then also... Darren Casagrande, who you've maybe seen um, playing music or running the soundboard, he is also joining the team, still on spring break, so he couldn't be here with us in person this morning. Um, but we wanted to introduce them to you, celebrate that. Um, I don't like talking about this, but Liz is going to be coming off the Deacon team. Her and her husband, Jeff, are moving to uh, Wisconsin. Um, it's really cold there, but you know... <laughs> That's cool. Anyway, we'll, we'll be talking more about that and their transition in, in the coming weeks and months. Um, if I can make it through it, that one's gonna that one's gonna hurt my heart a little bit. Um, but anyway, we uh, we really appreciate what Liz has done in these last two years and are excited for uh, for Ryan and Darren to join the team uh, as well. So we wanted to introduce them to you, celebrate that moment together as a community, and then take a minute to just pray over them, uh, just a prayer of commissioning and sort of inauguration, if, if you will, of their time um, leading us in this way. So Ryan, come over here to the middle of the stage. And then, uh, Kayla, you want to pray, and then I'll close in prayer here in just a moment. If you're able to just extend your arms out, pray with us. Father, I am reminded this morning that you love your church even more than we do, even more than we ever could. And because of this, God, you call people into this office of deacon to equip your church um, to become the very best expression of who she is and who you've called her to be. 
So God, thank you for that, for your goodness and your design in that way. And God, we thank you for Ryan and Darren and who you have made them to be, God, um, and that you have called them to this office and that they have responded with yes. So God, would you please um, affirm them as they move forward, God, and, and who they are. Um, and God, would you please use them so that this community is the highest and best expression of other love. Yes, God, we're grateful for uh, the first team uh, of four uh, who started this adventure a couple of years ago for the work that you have been doing uh, in them individually and collectively as they've been uh, leading and strategizing for us. We pray now over this new iteration of the team as Liz steps off, as Ryan and Darren uh, join. God, we're so grateful for uh, both Ryan and Darren, the, the unique ways in which you have gifted them for uh, this particular role, the, the minds that you've given them, the heart and the passion that you have given them. God, we celebrate that today. We pray uh, a blessing over their time. Um, I'm sure there will be uh, challenges. I'm sure there are things that we will not foresee, um, but they will help lead us through. Uh, but in the midst of that, God, may they know you more. Uh, may they become uh, a deeper and more whole reflection of who you are and your love for them and for us. We pray this today in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. If you have a Bible, you can meet me this morning in Acts chapter 15. Again, wrapping up what's been a four-week conversation on uh, discipleship, what that looks like here for us. And we've been doing this through uh, the eyes of a character, right? This guy named Peter. And so we're going to look now for just a moment at one of the final scenes that we have of Peter in action. And then we're going to wrap up this conversation here before we get to Easter next Sunday. So Acts 15, I'm just going to read verses 5 through 11. You can follow along with me in your, in your physical Bibles or on your phone. Also be on the screen. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said... The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel, the good news, and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Let's pray. Father, we uh, have, um, this has been a good conversation for us uh, over the last month, thinking through what it means to be a follower of Jesus, thinking through where we might be in that ongoing process, that ongoing journey. And so as we come to the end of the conversation, of course, this is not the end of what it means uh, for us as a community. But would you give us some clarity? Would you challenge us this morning, God? If we are, uh, are, are here this morning carrying 
you know, all sorts of different things, good and bad, would you hold them for us now so that we can be fully present here, tuned in to what it is that you want to say to us today. Again, God, give us the courage to respond to your invitation in whatever ways we need to respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, how many of you have had the experience, you have, you know, you're on a team, group projects at school or, or a work thing, and you're in a meeting, and you're sitting there going, who's in charge? Have you had this experience? And then, then there's the sort of next level of that, right, which is where you're sitting there in that moment wondering who's in charge, and then you realize, oh, it might be me, right? <laughs> it might be me. Have you had this experience? Don't need to raise your hand or anything. Just think through some of those moments. We see Peter in one of those moments, I think, today. Now, last week, if you were, if you were here with us last Sunday, just a quick reminder, we, uh, we saw this, this moment in Peter's story where Jesus very clearly establishes his leadership, right? Church. In these sorts of moments where it's like, okay, who's going to say something? Who's going to speak up? Who's in charge here? And oftentimes he's the one who will step up and have something to say. What this tells us is that discipleship happens, right? Growth as a disciple of Jesus can happen. Sometimes in formal ways, but a lot of times in informal ways. Right? Sometimes there will be these things where it's very clear, like someone is asking me to do this, to take this step, to take on this role. But a lot of times it's sort of the moment, right, is calling this thing out of us. This idea of growth, of leadership, of influencing other people, it brings us to kind of the final question of this conversation. Which is, like, what's the goal here? Right, the fancy word, you probably heard me use this before, the fancy word is telos. What, what is the ultimate aim of this? Following Jesus, where does it take us? And the truth is, if we are faithful, as we've been talking about, right, to take those next steps, to keep doing the next thing that Jesus invites us into, it will take us into positions of influence, right, positions of leadership, positions of who's, who's, who's in charge here? Oh, it's me. Huh. Right, depending on your wiring, that can be either an exhilarating or terrifying moment. Now at Discovery, we define discipleship very simply as formation in the ways of Jesus. Right? It comes out of this premise that we are all being discipled by something. We are being formed into some way of life, whether we are, are clear about that, whether we are intentional about it. There is something that is forming us. And so when we commit to follow Jesus, we are committing to being formed into his way of life. And this idea of discipleship as formation, it changes a lot of things for us. Right, it changes even how we think about this idea of conversion. And this is the, sort of the question where we begin the journey, right? This question about Peter. When does Peter become a Christian? This is a very churchy thing to do, right? When did you become a Christian? And in Peter's story, what's that moment for him? Is it, is it when Jesus sees him fishing, fixing his nets, hanging out by his boat and says, come follow me? I'll make you a fisher of men. 
Is it that moment, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, right, where Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water? Was it the one that we looked at last Sunday where Jesus says, you are the rock and on you I will build my church? Is it when Peter blows it? And we're going to look at this moment here uh, uh, a little bit later on in our conversation today. But Peter will have this big fail where he denies knowing Jesus three times. And then Jesus will restore him. Is that the moment? Is it Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes and Peter gets up and starts preaching in front of people? Is it Acts chapter 10 when Peter has a vision? Right, and he starts to see, oh, this is how big, this is really how big the kingdom of God is. At what point does Peter become a Christian? And what we've been arguing, what we've been saying is that it, in a very real sense, the answer to that question is yes. Right, that all of these moments are part of Peter's continual process of conversion. His continual process of being formed into the likeness of Jesus, right? And so it's not so much the finished product as it is the movement, the direction, the next thing, the next step. Now that being said, there is something to having a goal, right? To having a, a target, something to aim for. You've probably heard the old adage, aim at nothing and you'll hit it every time. Take a minute, you'll, let it sink in. <laughs> for, here, for us here at Discovery, the target is this. We want to help people develop into what we call guides. Guides. Our, our working definition of a guide is a contemplative activist, a follower of Jesus who loves God and loves people with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength and who can help others take their next step in that journey, that process. To be contemplative is to be deeply rooted in right relationship with God. To be an activist is to be deeply rooted in right relationship with our neighbors. This comes right out of the, the great commandments. Right When Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God and love your neighbor. Guides are not perfect people. They don't have all the answers. They're not brilliant theologians. They might be, but that's not necessarily a requirement. They, they are just people who have the ability to lead others through this process, who have been through it themselves and can invite other people into it and to take that next step towards Jesus. Guides help us grow in our love for God and for people. Are you with me? All right, now let's take a look at Peter the guide. Again, Acts chapter 15 is one of the last times that we sort of see Peter in action. And again, if you were here last Sunday, the last thing that we saw Peter doing was getting rebuked by Jesus, right? So he has this moment where, 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 where Jesus says, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church, this incredible affirmation. And then Peter immediately follows that up with uh, telling Jesus, like, I'm not going to let you go to the cross and die and do all that stuff. That doesn't sound good. I don't like that. Right? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are getting in the way of my, of my mission. Not a great moment, but Peter recovers from that. And, and if you continue to follow the story, he has all sorts of ups and downs still to move through. But Peter does, Peter does become the rock. 
And when you get to the book of Acts, you start to see him take on the, this role of leadership. You start to see him preaching boldly, performing miracles. He goes to jail and is put on trial and he speaks with authority in these different situations. He's leading the church through these very exciting, very heady early days. But the early church, just like any other church, sometimes we, we idealize the early church, right, and think they had it all figured out. They had a lot of things figured out. But just like any other church, they had their issues. They, they experienced tensions. Just like we do, they experienced tensions between what we sometimes call the old country and the new country. This comes out of our, our conversation in Hebrews 11. Right, this belief that God is doing something new in our moment, that there's some old country thinking we need to leave behind so that we can step into the new thing that God is doing. Early church had the exact same thing going on, specifically the tension between how Jewish someone needed to be to be a part of the church. How Jewish do you need to be to be a part of this new thing that God is doing? Very specifically, did a Gentile which is a non-Jewish believer, need to be circumcised and then go through all of the old country customs or do we not need to do that kind of stuff anymore? Now, this is one of those things, one of those issues that for us, 2,000 years later, it, it can feel very disconnected, right? Like circumcision, why was that the thing? Right, but for them, this was a huge deal. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament and to Abraham. And it was key to the, the Jewish identity, what it meant to be part of God's people. And so this was a huge question for them. A huge question of identity. And by the way, I'm sure that if, if they could like fast forward 2,000 years into the future and, and look at us, meaning just, you know, modern church and some of the things that we argue about, I'm sure that they would wonder, why do these people spend so much time arguing about musical styles and, and Bible training? Uh, it, it probably confused them deeply. Now, this should remind us a little bit, again, of references last week, right? That tendency that we all have for our preferences and our comfort to become more important than the mission. Right, the tendency for our preferences and comfort to become more important for the mission. For some, in the early church, the preference was, let's stay as Jewish as possible. Even if it means that, that some people will feel excluded or less than, we want to maintain this as much as we can. Guides are doing the work around this tension. Right, between old country and new country, between preferences, what, what is just a preference, and what frees people up to participate in what God is doing. Guides are discerning, you know, this thing, <clears throat> I like it, but maybe I don't need it. Maybe I can let that go because this is more important. What God is doing over here. The, the, this thing that worked for me, maybe I can let that go so there's more space for others doing over here so that I can love God and people with all of my heart.
and soul and mind and strength. Peter has been doing this work for a while. And so Peter, the guide, is a good example for us in this scene. He begins navigating this debate, this contentious, divisive debate. He begins from a posture of generosity. Right? Peter holds space for conversation. Peter could have very easily stepped in much earlier on and just killed that thing, right? Because he's Peter. And he has the, the authority, he has the experience, he has the ability to speak into this. Could have killed the conversation very easily, but instead he facilitates, right? He, he sort of takes a step back so that other people can, can talk and discuss and, and offer feedback and, and talk this through together. Now in doing so, Peter's generosity points us towards God's generosity. Peter's not being generous just because he wants to be nice and relevant and hit pastor guy to the Gentiles. Right? Peter is coming from this place where he now understands just how big God's kingdom is. And that this is not a new idea. Right? The bigness of what God is up to. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, creating humanity in his image. Genesis 12, when God chooses Abraham, it's not just for Abraham, it's to be a blessing to all peoples, right? Peter's generosity is not just about him trying to, you know, make people happy. It's about pointing to God's generosity. So Peter begins from a posture of generosity and then he begins to build a bridge. Again, Peter could have laid into these guys. You dummies, don't you understand what God is doing? Don't you see how big the kingdom of God is? Why are we still talking about this? You know you're in church leadership when you ask that question. Why are we still talking about this? This has been going on for a while. The, the early church had been debating Gentile inclusion and, again, how, like, what, do we, what do we need to keep? What do we let go of? They've been doing this for many chapters now. And despite all of that, despite Peter's own experience, his own story, there's still some who are like, yep, circumcision, got to keep it. Let's talk about it some more. And I'll, I'll just got to tell you, Peter's patience here, very convicting for me as a leader. Because it takes a long time for people to change. It takes a long time for me to change. Are you with me? Peter, I'm sure, at a very human level, was tired of having this conversation, but he is a good guide, and so he builds a bridge. Let's remember, God gave them the Spirit just like us. We shouldn't hold them to a standard that we couldn't keep ourselves. Peter begins with a generous posture. He builds a bridge, and as a result, Peter serves as an agent for the kingdom of right relationships. Good guides lead people deeper into right relationships. We will not do it every time. We will not do it for every single person. Having that expectation that, oh, to be a guide means that I'll just like always have like this perfect wisdom for all people. Like that is way too much of a burden to carry. But on the whole, on the whole, guides lead us towards reconciliation towards right relationship with God and with each other's. 
Now, quick sort of side note here. One of the things that I have observed is that some of the best guides are people that don't even know that they're doing it. Right? It's that sort of like, oh, it's me moment. Which is to say, which is to say that oftentimes the best guides will not look like what we expect. They won't fit our, our maybe our expectations or, or our neat little boxes. Peter was a fisherman. He's described as uneducated and an ordinary man. He was hot-headed. You know Peter dropped some choice words into, into conversations that, that probably shouldn't have been dropped into. Right? Guides may not appear to be the most spiritual people. And I think that has way more to do with church culture than it does with them. Because a lot of times in church culture, we emphasize appearance and behavior. Do you look the right way? Do you say the right things? Do you fit our little conception of what a spiritual person is? We, we emphasize those things way more than someone's character and someone's commitment to the mission. Church culture elevates people that are based on talent. Again, based on, on how well do they play the part. Don't be surprised to see some guides here who maybe don't fit some of those boxes, who are surprising. And then maybe the most important thing I want to say here is this. Don't disqualify yourself from being a guide because you think, oh, I don't fit, I don't look like them, I don't dress as cool as Antonio. Like whatever it is, like don't disqualify yourself. Oftentimes the best guides come from surprising places. Now back to Acts chapter 15. Peter here, again, this is one of the last times we really see him in action. He's been through it. He's been through the crucible. Ups and downs, fails, success. His character has been formed by this process of just doing the next thing, taking that next step with Jesus. Peter's learned a lot. <clears throat> Peter's unlearned a lot. And as a result, he can lead, he can speak missionally and authoritatively from that wealth of experience that he has with Jesus. Now, a couple of things for us to think about here as we land the plane on this conversation for now. It's important, I think, that we all take a very real, honest assessment of where, where we're at. If, if this is a process, if this is a journey, if this is a sort of long thing with, with many steps along the way, where are you at in that? Where are you at in that? And I just want to say this, too, because sometimes when a pastor gets up and says, take a real hard, honest assessment of where you're at, there's some of us, myself included, who have a very strong inner critic. Right? And the, 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 you know, the inner critic hears, take a real honest assessment and goes, all right. And, and I just want us to be free of that voice. 
I want us to be free of that voice. I want us to be tuned in to the voice that says, Steve, my beloved son. So-and-so, my beloved daughter, with you, I am well pleased. With you, I am so happy. Let that be the leading voice. But also ask the question, what is my next step? What is Jesus inviting me to do? What, what is the thing in front of me? And, and I, just need to, I just need to go for it. For some of us, that might be a hard conversation with someone. A moment to forgive and to reconcile. For some of us, that might mean participating in the life of discovery. That might mean being a part of a neighborhood community. It might mean serving on a Sunday morning team. And we've got the sign-ups all out there on the, on the table in the lobby if you want to do that afterwards. Maybe it's helping with the Good Friday event that's coming up here in a couple of days. What, what does it look like for you to participate? Maybe there's some other things that, you know, last week we talked about what needs to die, right? Like maybe there's some unhealthy things that you need to let go of so that you can be free. So you can be free to participate in what God is doing in your life, in our community, right here, right now. What is your next step? What is your next step? Now, one final thing. I want us to, to end here in John chapter 21. If you still have your Bible open, you can flip over there. John chapter 21 is really interesting. It's the end of the book of John, which is one of the stories about Jesus. It's after the resurrection. Jesus has come back from the dead, overcome sin and death, this amazing thing. He's even appeared to the disciples a couple of times. And yet at the beginning of John chapter 21, Peter has gone back to fishing. And this is where we were a couple of weeks ago, right? Luke chapter 5. What was Peter doing? He was on a beach. He was fishing. He was, he was mending his nets. And here we are now, the end of the story, Peter right back where he started. Have you ever felt like that? I'm right back where I started. Even though Peter has seen the resurrected Jesus, he's hanging out in a boat fishing. And I think part of the reason for that is because there's still something that needs to happen between him and Jesus. And so Jesus sees them fishing and he, he sort of waves at him from the beach. And Peter, being Peter, is like just leaps out of the boat and swims to the shore. It's one of the, I, I don't know why, but that makes me laugh every time I read that part. And so they end up on the beach around a fire, which automatically you know that this is a deeply spiritual moment. Right? A bonfire on a beach, like this is the Holy of Holies. But it's really interesting because that's where, that's where uh, the last time that Jesus and Peter interacted in a significant way, really, in, in the Gospel of John, Peter's around a fire. Uh, as Jesus is on trial telling people, like, I don't know who this guy is. I was never a part of this. And so he goes from that denial to now being with them. And now three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter says, yeah. You can feel the, 
like the frustration, right? Like, duh, you know, you know. Three times Jesus says, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my people. And it's this really, like, beautiful, tender moment. And Peter being Peter ruins it by going, okay, but what about John? <laughs> right? Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter, you are going to have, you are going to have some awesome experiences. But it's going to be really challenging. And Peter goes, okay, but what about John? And Jesus says this really interesting thing. To me, if I were to answer the question, when does, what's the moment for Peter? To me, it's, it's this moment. And this is totally me reading my own experience into this because this is also, I think, for me. Jesus says to Peter, what is it to you? What is it to you? You follow me. Who cares about John? <laughs> right? You follow me. Comparison will kill our formation in the ways of Jesus. Right? Comparison will take us to some pretty dark places if we let it. Look at, look at that guy, look at this person, look at that family. They're doing so great. How come, you know, ah, why am I still here? Why am I back on the beach fishing? Comparison will kill us. And so there's Jesus on the beach, around a fire, looking at us, inviting us. Don't worry about them. What is it to you? What is it to you? You. Follow me. There is, in the kingdom of God, there is a collective destiny that every single one of us is invited into. Right relationship with God. Eternal life. Abundant life. Peace. Shalom. Collective destiny. But there is also an individual purpose. Right? There is a role for you to play. In this big, amazing, beautiful, wonderful story that God is telling. Collective destiny, individual purpose. Don't let comparison kill that. What is Jesus inviting you into? Will you follow? Will you follow? We're going to close our time together taking communion. Singing a couple of songs. We're going to have some people available for prayer. So if you want to join us for prayer, um, there will be a couple people over here and a couple over there. What is your next step with Jesus? What is Jesus inviting you into? Collective destiny, individual purpose. As you come to the table today, remembering here, right, as Peter says, it's by grace that we are saved. This is all a gift. This is all a gift, but Jesus doesn't force it to follow him. What is your next step as you follow Jesus? Let me pray, and then we can take communion and worship together. Father, we, uh, God, we come before you 
this morning in awe of the collective destiny, the big story that you are telling of redemption and restoration, of resurrection that we will celebrate next Sunday. God, we are so grateful for this good news that it is by your grace we are saved. And we are also humbled that we have a part to play in this, an individual purpose. And so, God, I ask now that you would give each one of us great clarity about what that next step is. It, it doesn't need to be a, a big, you know, quit my job and, and move somewhere sort of thing, God, but, but make it very clear to us what do we need to do? Who do we need to talk to? What step do we need to take? What does it look like for us to hear that invitation? What is it to you? You follow me. May we hear your voice and would you give us the courage to respond today. We pray this in Jesus' name.